0: Hi and welcome to Ace Martial Arts Interviews. I'm Hayes Daywood. This interview is with Dr. Luke Delvecchio. Luke is one of Australia's most credentialed sports scientists and one of the best health and fitness educators going around. Luke's journey in health and fitness started when he was a young boy, when he became interested in martial arts. Luke is an experienced and established martial artist with a gold sash in Kung Fu, a black belt in Arnis, and 20 years experience in freestyle martial arts. It was great to reminisce with my old friend Dr. Luke Delvecchio. Here we go. Luke Delvecchio, hello. My one of my first training partners. Welcome to Ace Martial Arts Interviews, mate. How are you doing?
1: Very good. Thanks for inviting me along and yeah, it's great to be here.
0: So Luke, you're known as the the doctor in sports science, you're a fitness guru, health guru, but a lot of people don't know that you're a martial artist, a long-time martial artist. What first sparked your interest in martial arts training
1: as a young guy? Uh, look, probably like a lot of people. Um, I, I saw a number of Bruce Lee movies and pretty much got captivated by what I saw. And I did, That's my earliest memory, just watching, I think it was The Big Boss. Yes. Or, yeah, The Big Boss. And I, just, like everyone else, I got caught up in the craze and got very interested in martial arts. Now was it the big boss with the the subtitles or the dubbing where where they'd go? The dubbing, no, it was the dubbing. I don't think at that age. I, I think I was that that young. I might have had trouble reading subtitles, so <laughs> might never have happened if it was subtitles. I might have gone. I can't read this and turned
0: it off. So the dubbing was a-, was a disaster. As you watch the dubbing, as you get older, you see them laugh, ha ha ha, and then their mouth yes. moves. <laughs> so Bruce Lee, uh, yeah, very common for many people to get into martial arts watching Bruce Lee. Where some type of martial arts action star. And when did the when, when did the training actually start
1: from watching those movies? Good question. I really have to go back through the memory vault uh, here. Um, wow. Where did I? Okay. Yes. Now I recall. I'm, it, I'm pretty sure it started at at Ingedine at a GKR Karate Club. Really. In in- yeah. The community hall there that's on Anzac Oval, in Ingham. It was a, um, a yeah yeah a karate class, pretty sure it was GKR. If my memory serves me correctly. So yeah, I started going. I, I actually recruited a whole bunch of my school friends because I didn't want to go on my own. I was a bit shy, and they didn't even like martial arts. They were all into skateboarding at the time. And I just insisted, insisted they came. And, and I think they lasted a week. They did two or three lessons, and then in that week, and then I was the only one left over. And I continued on for some time.
0: That's that's some new information. I had no idea. So many of us started with karate. I've spoken to a few people, uh, GKR, I think there's about a million of those places in every school hall in, in Australia. And yeah. from-
1: that's right. That, that's, as I said, I'm, I'm pro- I, I know I, then I started, I, I was there and then I started to, to sort of dabble in some other systems and I remember having to ask my mum to take me to these different classes, which she wasn't all that excited about because almost every week I was finding new martial arts classes around the Southern for to take me to. and I think if I recall correctly, I was trying some Hap Keto at Sutherland as well. There was a small Hap Keto club and I tried a few classes there. And then I think um, not long after, um, ninjutsu popped up in England, in the same hall where I was doing the karate, but on the other night, a, um, a ninjutsu club popped up. And, and it wasn't long, around that time as well, the, the ninjutsu movies started to come out. So I had, bit of an interest in ninjutsu as well if you remember what was the his eight- name
0: michael dudkoff
1: michael Dunnikoff yeah Dunikoff. the american ninja oh, the american what the, ninja that's, what a that's disaster that's, what I do I do and then <laughs> and then there was is it ko shogun who was the, there was the japanese actor who was really good as a ninja too and he had a bunch of like, revenge of the ninja if i remember one of the one with titles correctly oh you're kidding
0: michael dudkoff wow i heard that name for a while Dutkoff. all right so from ninjutsu then where
1: uh, that's where I get a bit lost. I, somehow I ended up in, <laughs> it's a bit of a time lapse now, but somehow I ended up in Kung Fu. Um, and I think around that time, that's when I moved to the south coast. South, with my parents divorcing, I went down to the south coast with my mother. And it was down on the south coast I got introduced to Wing Chun first. And that was my first experience with Kung Fu. And um, at the same time, I was doing Taekwondo. There was a Taekwondo club. That was the first martial arts club I could find. And being in the South Coast, there wasn't as many options for training. So there was obviously quite a few Taekwondo halls. So I started there. And the st- the story that I remember was there was an individual advertising in the paper uh, just a six week course for my self defense course. Mm-hmm. And it, in the, in the explanation of what the, the course was what it involved, it was Wing Chun. And that's what really got my attention. Kung Fu. Finally, I, you know, obviously still hammering my attachments to Bruce Lee and having watched all his life story videos and knowing full well that it was Wing Chun that got him started. Mm-hmm. I was really excited to do this six-week Wing Chun self-defence course. And the instructor at the time was catching a train every day up to William Chung's full-time academy really? in Sydney from now. So it was a two-hour, oh. two-hour train trip every day. He, he was enrolled in the full-time instructor's course at Wing Chun opened, and uh, was getting the off-study to be a full-time student learning how to become a martial arts instructor. So he was basically just showing what, what he'd learned during those classes during the week.
0: So was William Chung one of the
1: first martial arts marketing machines? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no doubt. I mean, he, he's, what he achieved in those early days was quite remarkable. Like setting up a, a course, getting a course accredited for off-study was wow. quite a feat. The paperwork involved to, to go through it, become an RTO and yeah. to have that you know, approved for um, Ostade, so students could enrol me, enrol full time, mm-hmm. and uh, essentially being trained to be a martial arts instructor and getting OS study to do it. So it was—I was super impressed at what he did. How long
0: did you train in the Wing Chun system for?
1: Look, I trained. His name was Phil, that instructor, and I trained on and off with, with him for about a year. Mm-hmm. It took a year to finally open up a, a, a club. So you know, at that time, I was seeing him. I finished the six-week course and I just started to do privates with him. So I spent about a year doing Wing Chun with him. I never really graded or, or did any official – followed an official framework. It was just some ad hoc training once a week with him. Um, yeah. And I started to want a bit more and I was taking some time to open up a club. And that's when I found the other Kung Fu system that I learned, and, and which was um, Wu Chi. Wu they had a school. Um, in Coalborough, um, which is a beachside suburb in the south coast. And I somehow got introduced to that club. And if I remember correctly, I saw them on the beach. Doing I was out there one weekend having a swim and there was a couple of guys doing these moves on the beach. And I could recognise it wasn't karate, it wasn't Taekwondo. So I went over and introduced myself and asked what it was they were doing. And that's when they said, look, we're doing the system. It's called Uchi. You know, come along to one of our classes. So and that's you,
0: how you progress quite into that system and became a, an instructor on a gold sash. What was it about the Wu-Chi system that made you stay in it? And how different is it to, to other forms of Kung Fu that you, you trained in, for example, Wing Chun?
1: Yeah, um, okay, so I guess the fact that it was a formal class is what I was looking for and I wasn't getting through the Wing Chun and, and my friend or the gentleman who was um, giving me the private. So I wanted to be part of a formal system Formal class, and that's what they could offer with a braiding system, and and that included this you know, progression through the different colored sashes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's what sort of attracted me to it. And it, as opposed to, we look, Wing Chun is based on it's kind of based on the animal type scenario and kung fu. Some kung fu systems align their moves and techniques to the replicating animal type um, scenarios, and that's what this system was, was based on a little bit. So that's what have also got my interest that it was based around some of these animals. I always had, you know, I was curious about the, the, the tiger style, the, the different animal styles. I was, always, I was always curious about that. And it's quite hard to find a club that just specialises in those animal systems. So mm. that's what sort of really engaged me in it.
0: And when did you start teaching the Kung Fu?
1: So I actually, so I did that system, for about two and a half years before. And then I moved to Sydney and I was about 18 or 19. So I left them, unfortunately. And I was only halfway through the system. I was at a red sash. So red sash is about halfway. I had a green sash, I think it was, in that system. And then maybe a red, a, sorry, a brown and the black um, gold sash. So it was the system, if I remember correctly, I was only about halfway through and I left. And then they, they sent me a letter. And I don't know why then how I got this letter. And I've opened up this letter and it says, on principle, we accept your request to open up a school. <laughs> in conversations with some of the other students about wanting to open a school, but I never actually made a formal request to the to the and that I want you know. And I just found that kind of strange event. I got a letter in the in the mail saying, wow. "On accept your request to open up a school." And in that system, one of the ways you can get a you know, the gold sash, which is your black belt equivalent. Is, and they called it walking through the doors to, to get the gold sash. There is, I believe, 10 different ways you can walk through a door and get a gold sash. One is the traditional way, which is just work your way through the belts. But I, I must have chose door number nine, which is just move and then open your own school. <laughs> I got to jump. I skipped a few breaks and got a gold sash. But I came with the responsibility. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I never really felt I earned that gold sash, to be totally honest. But I had to open a school and start running a school. So in other ways I did because I had to have the responsibility then of at about 19 of, you know, opening a kung fu school and and being there twice a week and running, you know, two weekly classes. And so I guess in other ways perhaps I did, but it wasn't the traditional um, bit of getting your, your black belt. Uh, the letter. The letter is very impressive. Sending that's a letter. A, that up. is a true story, an absolute. And I still, to this day, no, I did not make a formal request. So somewhere, somehow, or not, that conversation I had with if if one of the other students. Um, oh wow, that's that's, that's awesome. Very... Over
0: twenty years ago, I was at a place called Double Dragon Martial Arts, training with the great uh, legend pioneer Mix Sphinx. and I was training in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class and back then Brazilian jiu-jitsu was really unknown and this guy walked in named Luke and it was the first time I met Luke and Luke was my partner and I'll forget the first time I grappled with you you tried to rugby league tackle me (laughs) and were warned numerous times that we had to relax What brought you to the doors of Double Dragon Martial Arts? And then you started training the kickboxing. We started training kickboxing together, and the rest is history. What made you take that next step from traditional martial art to modern martial art of BJJ and kickboxing under the great Nick Smith?
1: Look, I think, to be honest, at that time, I'd I'd been running the the Kung Fu School for probably a year and just started to realise what the shortcoming was. It was hard to do sparring and actually get some to try and test our skills with that system I come through. It didn't really work at sparring. It was based on the premises and the, the philosophy of that you go in and you stay in. So once you initiate combat, that's it. You're in and you stay in. You, there's no pulling of your punches or pulling of your kicks. It was designed, to, the system's designed to go in and stay in basically. So, you know, I was getting, I was starting to wonder, well, how will I know if what I've learned will, will protect me if needed. I was curious and, I guess I needed to find a, a practical way to, to see uh, all the training I've done and how, you know, where I was at to, to get a bit of a benchmark of where I was at. So I, I realised I'd need to do some cross-training. And, um, and I, I realised also that, that the limitation of that traditional system was that you just didn't get a chance to, to test yourself, basically. So I knew I needed to find a system or a, a style of combat training where I could. And the obvious ones were the grappling because that's direct you know, grappling is nothing but testing yourself, stress testing yourself, and and likewise with boxing and kickboxing.
0: Now you did something that most people see in the movies. You actually went around to different martial arts schools and tested yourself by sparring their students.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the <laughs> that was part of this. This, I guess, the, the at that time where I that was like. Yeah, the journey where I was at that time was, OK, well, if I can't do it here in my club and you know, it's just not safe and proper, then I I thought I'd go around. So, I, I yeah, I would go around to some other clubs, typically karate and taekwondo, because they had regular sparring in their classes. And I'd come in for a casual visit and, and make an inquiry that I was just, I guess, interested in, in potentially taking up a membership with them and, and joining this club. <laughs> And then, yeah, we do some sparring. And, of course, what I realised is because I've been trained in that system to go in and stay in, it really didn't work well, particularly with Taekwondo, because obviously Taekwondo is a sport and it's not about um, the aggressive contact that you get in other systems. And I got myself into a bit of trouble because I would, once the sparring would start, I'd want to go in and stay in and, and stay on them, not, not attack them, move back and defend. And, uh, yeah, it didn't, wasn't really well received. I got asked to leave. So they said, yeah, I don't think you're really, what the way you spar isn't really compatible one of the instructors said to me so
0: and, and the fact that you started kickboxing where your hands were locked away with boxing gloves that must have been huge for you
1: too yeah absolutely cause it was hard because everything in kung fu is about using your palms and and the, the blade of your hand and, and your hammer fist and every other part of your, your upper limb so yeah absolutely that was that was very restrictive and i remember struggling with that
0: i, I also remember you struggling with the the concept of hip-cap
1: sparring well that's the problem. It's <laughs> I've been training a system where there isn't tip, it's, yeah, it's, it's go
0: forward and go in uh,
1: yeah, and and Wing Chun's a bit like that as well. So some of the Wing Chun work I have done was always once uh, you initiated a move you, you just move forward move forward, move forward and yeah, that was that was definitely something I had to learn to regulate a bit more.
0: You end up becoming an instructor at double dragon martial arts teaching the kickboxing class. And we we're both going through our apprenticeship as instructors. Was that the catalyst for you to take a career in fitness and health, training in martial arts? Was that what inspired you to become a personal trainer initially?
1: Oh, I think absolutely. I absolutely I think it was just the the natural transition really. If you think about, you know, particularly when I because I was running a club. So, you know, teaching is very similar. There's a lot of similarities in to to running a martial arts club. As there is a PT, you know there is a lot. So the attributes were already being developed from yeah, my early exposure to being a, you know, an instructor and running a class. So it just felt you know, quite, quite made it, it's, it. felt like a very easy transition, I must say. I wasn't daunted by it. it. Just felt like that was the natural progression. Did you
0: get a letter in the mail saying if you walk through the door, <laughs> you get a PhD?
1: No. I... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, letters?
0: <laughs> no letters? No, no you, letters. You, you did get a letter. I wish no? i kept that letter. You know
1: what? I wish I'd kept that
0: letter. Oh, that's a great letter. You did get a letter saying if you want your PhD, you've got to move to yep, North that's Queensland. Right. Yeah, yeah, Rockhampton. That's right. And what was the martial arts like over there for you? I know you did some training up there.
1: In Rockhampton. Look, it, it was the, the humidity in, in Rockhampton and the heat is just something I would, would, I'll never forget and I was certainly not prepared for coming from Obviously, Sydney and Southern States, it's a lot cooler. And the the sessions, I remember slipping over because the sweat from the whole class, you'd be in these, um, these were kickboxing and grappling classes, and the mats would be wet. And because you still train, even around 5 or 6 p.m., the heat and humidity in in summer was just nothing I'd ever experienced before. And I was slipping over all the time because literally the floors were wet from everybody sweating. And and of course, these were clubs that didn't have air conditioning, and and so they they were basically. Uh, in garages up there. So you'll train maps in garages with pretty poor ventilation. So wow. that's what I remember most. The heat, humidity, and slipping over. I'm trying to throw a click and going, cool.
0: While you were busy studying your PhD, you took a, a challenge upon yourself to become a master's athlete, which was your thesis, training the master's athlete. Yeah. And it brought you back to your traditional martial arts roots. Can you please share the story with us?
1: Well, that's, yeah, so of course, at that time, um, the Masters Games were being, we were doing a lot of research on the Masters Games, which is an annual competition for Masters athletes, and I I guess after spending so much time researching it and and writing about it, I really wanted to to experience it, and I looked at the sports available, and I thought, well, here's my check, look, Martial Arts is probably the, the sport that I'm, It'd be easiest for me, the lost line fruit, if you like, for me to to pick up and start training for and, and competing. So of the martial arts available, Taekwondo was available. So I looked at that and said, well, why don't I have a try at this just so I can experience the Masters Games. I'll go into the Taekwondo competition. And do you need a black belt for that, Luke? Well, I, I contacted the organiser. That's The conversation was, look, I've been training in the backyard for a long time with this <laughs> stuff. I've got a bat. This is what I said to him. I said, look... I think I could have a go at the, the, the black belt division, okay. And he laughed, but he <laughs> principal to let me compete in the black belt division. Even um, just, gold. just yeah, with a little bit of backyard, i said, backyard trained, I'll be fine. You know, I've watched a few videos and watch plenty of movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes. Yeah, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure he found that it is pretty entertaining. Yeah. The there, And, and uh, yeah. but what I did do is I enlisted a local Taekwondo instructor to, you know, I was doing two sessions with him a week. Yeah. Just and get some yeah, to get ready for the competition and the tactics more so than anything else. Just to get the you know, some some oversight on what tactics I should use and, and obviously I needed to adapt to the, the in and out type model that Taekwondo is rather than the go in and stay in. And you can't kick with a shin, can you? In the comp? So you can kick above the waist. With a shin bone of your of your yeah, legs. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you can. Yeah, great. You can. So and and there was the world taekwondo and the international. I did the international because you could punch, at least you could punch to the face, whereas with the world stand correctly, we weren't allowed. There was no punching to the face. You could kick to the head, but you could you'd only punch to the body. You are actually allowed to punch to the face. So I went into the uh, the ITF competition. It felt like I, my I guess my theory was I could still use my hands and use the boxing training that I had to to make sure I could keep my hands up and. I'm more comfortable using. I was more comfortable using boxing punches than the reverse punches. Mm-hmm. And
0: what was it like your first event, your first uh, opponent? What happened at the Masters Games?
1: Look, it, I didn't have a coach, so I I walked in and I couldn't even. You know, I hadn't been wear. I hadn't worn geese since I was a kid. So I guess the funniest story is so I have walked in and I've started to put my gi on and I've actually got it on. And I've come out of the dressing room getting on, I'm getting these funny looks from everyone and I'm starting <laughs> to get a bit paranoid. Why is everyone looking at me? And then about five minutes later, and I'm, I'm feeling really like self-conscious because I'm definitely getting people staring at me. Oh, and I remember he'd come over from America to compete. He comes over and says, Hey man, no disrespect, but you've got your belt on wrong. And I'm like, what do you mean? he goes, you, you know, you haven't put your belt on correctly and you, this is wrong. And he, so he starts dressing me in front of oh, everyone, shit, just as the yeah. preparation. And he says to me, he goes, me and my friend, we're like, we're sure <laughs> you the street? And I said, yeah, pretty much. I said, I haven't worn a gee for 20 years. I've just <laughs> trained myself in the backyard. And he was laughing. He's dressing oh, wow. me, trying my belt on correctly. and That's beautiful. Competition without a, you know, I didn't have a coach. And all I could do was the competitor's coach telling me what to do. So I started to get a bit frustrated because, you know, obviously the pressure of competition. So I just defaulted. I forgot everything I'd i learned with my Taekwondo instructor complete not at all. And I just reverted back to a you know, a, a brawling model, unfortunately, because I was no coach, I was under pressure and I just started attacking like I would as a boxer and and at one point I, I went for I grabbed the poor guy's head and did a knee and I got a big warning. I almost got the even the coach over there came up to me and said, Look, if that was a, if it was MMA, that was great, but
0: oh, um, wow.
1: been doing that. So it really, you know, I, I managed to last three rounds and I lost points.
0: Wow. Well done. What an experience and what a great story.
1: What do you love most about the martial arts? Uh, Definitely the fact, particularly as I've gotten older, it's the the stress management, the, the mindfulness, it's all the elements of meditation that sometimes we just can't get to in our busy lives to sit still and to work on being present, to work on stress reduction, breathing, all those things that. So it really is the physical meditation aspects I think of martial arts that's now most important to me. You can, you know, that can be achieved through any type of training. And I think what's what's most important to me about martial arts is the, the fact that it enables you to do that to so just to actually just spend that hour hour and a half being present. And it's that physical ability to do that martial arts gives you that physical vehicle to um, to to really just spend that time that you need to on just forgetting about the day, the stresses, work-life, balance, and all those issues that are constantly in your mind. So I think, Mm -hmm. to me, that's most important. And who are you training with at the moment? I'm more than happy for you to give them a plug online, uh, if anyone listening. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, you know, I'm really enjoying training with the guys at Tawazi, um, Tawazi Boxing and Brilliant Jiu-Jitsu, which is set up by Manny Rodriguez and and Coach Shane. And um, I'm really enjoying that simply because, their attitude towards teaching it's really founded on those traditional models and 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 traditional philosophies it's really martial arts like how they're running their club but i really i really like that and i really respect it that um you know they they talk about coming in and just letting go letting go of the day's problems and just zero in on training our guys and and if you come in some days and you've had a, a you know a stressful day they're really open to you just you know okay you don't necessarily have to try and go hard every time a session on we respect that and I think that's important. I think it's important for, for people to, to go into their training sessions with that flexibility to regulate, to auto-regulate. And, and a lot of coaches you know, will always try and push the same agenda every session and it doesn't always match to the, the individual's day and the individual's presentation. So for me, that's what I'm most enjoying. And I'm just enjoying the fact that they the attention to the technique, whereas in, you know, I've trained in a lot of different clubs and, and they're all good in their own way, but so just strip things back and really focusing on the, the footwork, the technique, the positioning, um, and spending time on that to me is important, and it's it's where that really a great way to, to use that physical mindfulness training as well. And definitely, Sh- uh, Shane and Manny are very
0: passionate blokes. They love doing what they do, and they don't do it for financial gain. They're happy to teach exactly. anyone that walks in for hours That's and hours, right. and anyone that lives on the Gold Coast. Uh, you do yourself a big
1: favor training with those boys. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you're looking for deep. If you don't, you want to learn to know the how. That's what I like the the effort they put into explaining why and how. Whereas, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a boxing and kickboxing class, which is fitness focused and conditioning focused. But I guess at, at some point you want to you want a bit more detail. You 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 want to dive in a bit more to the theories behind why certain techniques are done this way and the strategy behind it. So, and that's what I think you really get out of it you know, if you were to come to the Tawazi Club. It's what I most enjoy.
0: We've we've spoken extensively. uh, uh, Sorry, let me say that again. You and I have spoken a fair bit about traditional martial arts versus modern martial arts. We both agree that they have their place and they're very important for people to, to train mindfulness, fitness, health. When it comes to fighting, you've got a few views that I agree with about the pressure testing of some of the traditional arts. Can you just elaborate on that a bit more? As someone that you you yourself personally, you, you you got to a high level in kung fu, and you actually sought out other systems to improve your fighting skills. Do you think people have worked that out yet?
1: Uh, I have to say, I think I think mixed martial arts are amazing. Answer that question, and you know that's that's where where we really saw the rise in popularity of that sport. It just I think a lot of people got to the same point, the same conclusion. I think I did is there was a gap and that is, yeah, when I'm looking to actually see how well the, this training I've done translates, into a, you know, a situation, a practical situation or a real life situation, there was some real gaps and some concerns about whether or not what I've been training for would work. And, and to me, that's, that's the issue. And it's, it's absolutely no disrespect to the traditional systems because they, they offer so much in so many other areas, but when to the, the direct action of combat, well, it's, it's stripped back and it's pretty raw and it's pretty clear that you don't need a plethora of techniques to be successful in defending yourself. So the more information you learn, the more you have to manage as well. So the answer to that is is looking at those those systems, that the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, because of the fact that, you know, every session you're actually, someone's actually really trying to choke you or someone's actually really trying to give you an armbar you're, when you're grappling and wrestling. Or rolling, as they call it, well, that's 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 a real test because the the person you're wrestling with is actually trying to submit you. Mm-hmm. And just like someone on the street, if you were to get into a, a fight, someone's really going to try and choke you, and well, you need to pressure test yourself to make sure you can cope with that situation. And with the traditional martial arts, and and not being able to apply those the techniques in a in a real life situation, or at least a situation that forces you, mm-hmm. like boxing as well. Someone's really trying to punch you in the face, even though they've got gloves on, if you don't move or you don't actually counter, then you get hit and you, you learn firsthand that what works and what doesn't. And I think that's the situation we're in with the, the move away from traditional martial arts exclusively to, to cross training and, and, and then come starting to train in these other systems where there are elements of, of, of direct combat exposure.
0: Mm-hmm. How has martial arts
1: improved your
0: life?
1: Oh, I think, and a lot of people might agree, it's just that, you know, to train the body is really to train the mind. And I think with the martial arts training, it's helping you cope in those situations where you might not you, you might not do so well. And, you know, those stressful situations where you're you in the car and you've got the opportunity to, to you know, experience road rage, whereas with your martial arts training, it's like, well, you're sparring and you've been hit now you can react really aggressively or you can pull back a little bit respond firmly but not not overly aggressively and that's what sparring teaches you and i think with martial arts it's, it's the same scenario Do you how think to regulate yourself under stress i think that's the, my take for you personally absolutely how to yeah. reg- regulation under stress is, is what's most meaningful for me in martial arts training and how it helps me in life uh, can you name some of your
0: martial arts influences over the years?
1: Oh, there's so many, um, and, it, and it can change a lot. You know, you can mm. you can learn so much very quickly from just watching a, a different um, martial artist or fighter fight, and all of a sudden you've got a newfound respect. And, and I've got so many. I, I don't know if I could name one. I, yeah, I mean, it on. seems to be something that evolves and changes all the time. But mm-hmm. I would the many I've been influenced by so many, so many, and, and certainly you know, kudos to people like Mick Spinks who introduced me to the concept that it is okay to cross-train. You know, he really revolutionised that in his system. He had the very traditional double dragon, which is an excellent kung fu system, but he was also training kickboxing. And he also was doing one of the, the first martial artists, that I understand, who really jumped in on the, the BJJ movement. Yeah. You know, I really respect Mick for that because it showed me that it is okay to do that, and I haven't really you know, slashed any sacred cows by, you know, wanting to cross train, which I always had some gills about. So certainly um, a lot of respect for Mick in that way, leading the way and making, letting us all feel it's okay to yeah. cross train and, and to, yeah, experiment outside of our, our primary system of training. Fantastic.
0: You also, we haven't touched on this, you've also um, achieved a high level in Filipino stick fighting, Arnis. And one of my highlights was, you and I meeting Dan Inosanto, who was Bruce Lee's training partner. You trained at Arnis for many years, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, how did that? So that's when I was doing the running the Kung Fu school at um, Karangba, the Wu Chi school, I came across another individual who was um, part of a system, a karate karate system that incorporated Arnis, which was an interesting mix. And when I found out about it, I went and did a few classes, and this was just in Caringby, not far from where I was running my Kung Fu school, mainly because I wanted to do the Arnis training. So I started doing that cross-training with those guys as well um, in this Arnis system. And then what happened is that school unfortunately folded, but one of the the students who was quite high up in the Arnis system, he'd got his black belt equivalent, agreed to keep training me. So I'd go around to his house. He was living in Miranda at the time. And I would do these one-hour sessions with him where he would teach me um, the particular Arnis system that they'd used. That harness system had a full grading curriculum, which was really interesting, including carters and, and actual, um, I guess, a curriculum around what you need to know, what defensive and offensive moves you need to know for each level or each belt. So I was lucky enough to, to follow that system all the way through. And he pretty much taught me the curriculum from the white belt equivalent to the black belt equivalent.
0: Yes, I, I enjoyed those days. You introduced me to the harness system and taught me as well privately. I was very lucky for that, Lucky, lucky to do that. And I recall a time we started, um, you wanted to test the disarming without the safety sticks. And we used real sticks. And I thought you were nuts for proposing the idea that you were going to come at me with a, a rat hand stick and I was meant to defend it. And I went in for the block, but I missed. And it clicked my elbow and blood squirted out everywhere. That was in your little dojo in Carimba. So you, you also like to pressure test stick fighting as well, which was good.
1: <laughs> yeah i think if you that was spurred on because the, the matt his name matt, matt was very into the, the dog brothers if you haven't heard of the dog brothers you should have a look at some of their videos the dog brothers um, are these two i think they're american and they actually have this club where they do full contact stick sparring without any protective equipment oh, so they yeah they spar yeah, spa with arnie sticks and he was quite influenced by those. so it was some of our sessions he would want to do the same with me and um, again, with the theory that well, if you don't pressure test this, then if someone really has a, a stick, a club, a bat, anything they're trying to hit you with it, it's all well and good to have with nice fancy disarms, but you've still got to have those basic defence skills against a, you know someone really trying to hit you with some object. So he incorporated a lot of yeah. um, pressure testing or real-life scenarios, if you want to call it that. And you thought you'd experiment on me. Very good. Well, it goes down the chain, doesn't it? The instructor does it to the, the higher student, the higher student does it to the, the younger student or the, you know, isn't that just the natural yes. chain of events, the hierarchy system?
0: Last question, Luke, punching or kicking?
1: Oh, kicking. I can't help it. I every chance I get, even in the boxing classes, if there's a, a five minutes, I'll spend five minutes at the end of the class just making sure I can kick the bag. So I, I do have, I guess, a natural inclination towards kicking. I just, does, does Coach Shane know this? Yeah, he knows. He knows. And sometimes I get in trouble because I revert back to a kickboxing style and I'm there to learn boxing and I have to remember that. So that's because I have that inclination for kicking. Thank
0: you, Luke. That was a fantastic discussion. Nice chat with my old training partner and now my colleague at Australian Combat and Exercise. Uh, you've also taken your passion for martial arts and included it in your research for the last few years. Uh, you've done a number of studies in combat sports, boxing, kickboxing, mixed martial arts. So if anyone interested in looking at some of those studies, they are available on, on our website. Luke, thanks for your time, mate. No, thank you. Thanks, Ace. Cheers, mate. And cut.